Welcome to the Fear Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. I'm joined by my colleagues, The Resistance, and a big bear. <laughs> and I'm your host, Grouchy Donald Trump. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. I'm John Fury, and my colleagues, John Easton and Adam Belmar. You know, didn't uh, oh didn't God. didn't Kathy, what's her name, get fired from CNN for having a dismembered head on prominent display? I don't know oh, if we can keep that out there. Yeah, right there. Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin, mm-hmm. right? Did she get, I don't think she's got fired from anything. Has she ever been hired for anything? Anyway, we're here today. Um, glad to join us. scary. The special Halloween version of the EFB Fury Theory podcast. We are not only excellent for business, we're also excellent for booze. Booze, or or booze. booze. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, everybody! Cheers, cheers. This wine is too dry. Mm, it might be too dry. This wine is just right. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a scary time in the world, and we decided that we have a lot of theories to talk about it. Are you okay, Fuzzy Bear? I am. <laughs> so we didn't know the protocol. <laughs> Theory one: trick or treat. As we near the November elections, politicians and their campaign strategists are trying to figure out how to win their campaigns. We've got about uh, two weeks left, Johnny. Is that right? 13 days, 12 days? right, yeah. And uh, they're wondering, will they win with tricks or will they win with treats? Um, with tricks, obviously, you have all this amazing opposition research that you are trying to get out right before the election so you can try to ruin the life of your opponent. And treats are trying to say, you know, I did this for you, and so you should vote for me. And that's kind of the nature of politics has been that way for a long time. John Easton, you are our premier campaign strategist. You know you've been in this business for a long time. You've won campaigns. You've lost campaigns. Mm. Have you, I don't know, have you lost campaigns? Uh, I have. Okay. So um, what's what, what works better, tricks or treats? Treats are going to be the one that that works the best because if you have tricks, usually uh, it's hard to really pull off a great trick. I'll tell you one trick that was uh, comes to mind. It was actually a campaign a, a while ago. We actually have an Oregonian in our studio audience, Tim Rutten, who probably remembers something like this. But it was the Ron Wyden Gordon Smith special election that when they ripped each other apart uh, at the very end of 1995. And into January of 1996, it was the election to replace Bob Packwood. So this was uh, transpiring over the the holidays. So what do you do on Christmas Eve as a campaign where, I mean, there's only like a week left or something. You've got to make use of every day. So, of course, they, 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 they hired a Santa Claus. And they were downtown with Gordon Smith stuff, Gordon Smith sign and walking around. Well, I think a camera crew caught on and, 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 and made mention of this. Well, the, the Wyden campaign got wind of this, and so they sent a whole bunch of elves <laughs> down. And, and, of course, they alerted the media, too, and they stickered him head-to-toe with Ron Wyden stickers. <laughs> so there was an elf Santa Claus bash <laughs> downtown Portland uh, and on Christmas Eve. So that was one of the better tricks that I've, that I've seen, one of the funnier for sure. And I think usually what happens is is it's more funny than it is actually moving the needle one way or the other. And a lot of times they try a little too hard. They try to be too cute. And 
lot of it falls flat. Treats, to, you, to your point about deliverables, something that I'm going to expand this, I'm going to bring this to the district or the state, or, that obviously works better. Um, Adam Belmar, talking about trees, we just had an announcement today that the econ- economic growth is up 3.5%. Um, that, that's good news for Republicans. For, for the recently ended quarter. For the recently ended quarter. Uh, the two best back-to-back quarters uh, in since 2004, I think, so that's, that's good news. Um, Republicans have some treats. They, they thought their tax... Remember that tax thing we worked on for a long time? That's right. We wanted to cut the rate. Remember remember that whole... Make America great. Make America great, cut, cut the, rate. the rate. That was a treat, but has it been a treat for the Republicans? Is the economy slash tax cuts going to be a treat for the Republicans? It, in, in terms of being that tasty treat that, that uh, goes down so sweetly here on, <laughs> on the election, I'm not so sure. And I think the president's wondering the same thing. He tweeted out this morning that uh, the... Uh, Bomber um, has, you know, really taken the wind out of Republican sales. But I think what the president's also pointing at is that good news, or at least talk of politics in general, certainly around this new economic data, uh, is the kind of things that should put people feeling like promises made, promises kept, energy behind the president and a Republican Congress, and yet that's not what people are talking about. So I don't know if it's sweet enough to make the difference right now, actually. Well, and, and I just want to cut into ask our, our viewers uh, or each have you ever seen anyone or anything do air quotes with pause before? Yeah, this is, this is a that first That is a I've first, seen. and it was fantastic. Actually, you know what else? I, I created a lower third, so people have already seen it. But instead of saying Adam Belmar EFB, it just says Adam Belmar bear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Easton, I, I'm thinking about the Senate race in Arizona, and we have this race, Kristen Cinema, who is the Democrat, and we have Martha McSally, is that right? Martha McSally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is a Republican. Uh, we have all these quotes of Cinema saying things like, you know, she thinks Arizona's a crappy place, is a haven for meth. Um, she's just talked about uh, how she didn't care if you went off and went to go work for the Taliban. It's so hard to eat, drink wine with, <laughs> with pause. pause. Um, there's a lot of thought that maybe this opposition research was dropped too late in the in the program. Do you think um, when do you think the best opposition research should be dropped? Do you think it should, it should be done right before the election, or should it be done you know a month before to give the, the folks to have a Appreciate, proper appreciation for it? Opposition research execution is one of the toughest thing to do in politics, honestly, and it's a really, really good question. You know, I, I err on the side of getting it out there a little earlier, but you have to put the right, um, you have to put the right bookends around it. You have, to, you have to deliver it in the right way, and part of what is really important about opposition research and dropping it and so a lot of times it's very real. It's a very real thing that, that a particular individual did at some point in time in history. And there, it's important to have a political journalist who is uh, good at what they do so that they can know the difference between just a, a, a hack hit with very little behind it or something of real substance where the campaign has done a lot of work and has gone about four layers deep on it to say – this is why this happened. This is our evidence of it. And these are all people who can attest to it. That is the way you deliver opposition research. Those, the stuff that just gets thrown at reporters almost willy-nilly is, is tough to, to make stick and, and have traction. On the Kristen Cinema, 
uh, and versus Martha McSally in Arizona. I think what, what is happening is, yes, they're attacking her on all these different things that she said and did, but some of it runs counter to what the voters and the press has seen of the Congress, Congresswoman Cinema over the last – since she's been in Congress. Right. And so they're not biting on, on, on some of it. They're, they're saying, well, yeah, she said that way back when, but she hasn't acted like that or she hasn't said anything like that since being elected. Uh, they take her as a serious candidate, a serious congresswoman. So I think that's where they're having a lot of, of problems and they're not getting traction is just because it's not, it's it, not consistent with who she's. It, it runs counter to her personality be, right. and, and her persona as a, as a congresswoman. Right. So I know they're trying like, like crazy. And I mean, the uh, Arizona Republican endorsed Cinema um, for the first time. They've endorsed a Democrat for the Senate since in, in modern times. So, uh, Adam Belmar, the, the, as you, before you became a bear, um, you were in the media. In the, media. Um, the media plays a role in this, and so, sometimes they play a role uh, on behalf of the Republicans, and sometimes they play a role on the behalf of the Democrats, usually on the Democrat side. Um, I'm fascinated, though, by the fact the, the FBI just released uh, evidence that the Democrat running for governor in Florida accepted – a free ticket from his brother that was paid for and by an undercover FBI. For Hamilton, right? For Hamilton. Um, have you seen Hamilton? I have not seen Hamilton. Um, that doesn't mean I, I, I don't want to see it. I just haven't had the opportunity yet. And uh, I've been waiting for my free tickets, too. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's the kind of free tickets. You know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, but as you know, there's a lot of dirty tricks with Alexander Hamilton and, and Thomas Jefferson, too. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, this, this has been part Some of our deep history. deep irony there, maybe? There's a lot of deep irony. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that comes to mind and I, when, when we talk about the trick or the treat, the October surprise, um, is that uh, our president has really redefined what is survivable in politics with regard to opposition research. It wasn't necessarily a other candidate who brought forward the Hollywood, uh, Access Hollywood tape mm-hmm. that people, including the president's first chief of staff, Reince Priebus, said at the time was absolutely disqualifying. You've got to drop out, you know. Um, Oops. Yeah, well, apparently not so much. And so I think people are less inclined, perhaps even the press, to chase some of this stuff, lest they be seen more overtly being complicit. Um, They're chasing a lot of stuff, though. They're dropping a lot of stuff, the media. Well, I think, yeah, and and to take your point further, Adam, I think that beyond the media, voters are actually— That's probably the best point, Yeah, they are the ones who are setting the bar a little higher because I think with Donald Trump, this this desire for change, for something really different, not just— Hopey, changey stuff, but really, really different—a whole different persona in, in the office. Behavior is different. Uh, you know, all of that that Trump embodies. <laughs> I pointed at the math. Uh, it really is scaring me and bothering me. I, I think we we are are really in a different era, and I think the Florida governor's race actually could be another manifestation of that. Fascinating times. Theory two: scary movie. Um, you hear that? The people behind us are scared. They're, they're beeping on their Everybody's heart. freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. We have <laughs> pipe bombs sent to Donald Trump's uh, enemies list. We have a caravan coming from the Honduras. southern part, Honduras, Guatemala, through Mexico. 
the thousand miles of, of marching caravans. A category five it kind of, immigration kind of, hurricane. It kind of reminds me of Game of Thrones. You ever seen Game of Thrones when they are marching towards the wall? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we don't have a wall uh, yet, and uh, maybe someday. Um, and then uh, we have all these the stock market <laughs> collapsing. This is this is a scary movie, uh, Adam Belmar. It's a scary movie. I, you know, I want to talk a little bit about a scary movie. Um, Ghostbusters. I watched Ghostbusters with my daughter the other day, and the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. That's right. Very, very, very scary. not as scary as you, but very, very scary. Um, so, on, on these are scary times, and they, on, on a level of uh, The Exorcist being ten, and uh, The Great Pumpkin by Charlie Brown, zero. Where are we as far as scariness? Well, this is one of those things that everybody has their own gauge, and you just can't call it for everybody because there are a lot of people out there who feel like this is at a 10 and we're going to go to 11 because they feel as though you know our democracy is in serious jeopardy and our discourse is so vile that violence abounds everywhere. And there's evidence for you to pick and choose from to uh, shore up your stance on this. I honestly think it's somewhere around a four or a three. I'm not particularly worried. I think that history tells us and shows us that we've seen much more fierce and horrible rhetoric uh, in our politics. There just wasn't any television. There was no YouTube. There was no Facebook Live. Um, And, you know, they're also, at the same time, weren't incredibly insightful podcasts like this one to help you break it down and sure. and uh, get rid of the fluff um but in, in not, terms not, of what's no pun intended not all the fluff <laughs> <laughs> uh in terms of what's scary though um one thing that has fallen off of the headlines in the last couple of days where people were absolutely apoplectic in the media was jamal khashoggi in the murder of the Saudi Arabian expat journalist. I don't know if he's a journalist or not. He's a columnist. You're a columnist. I wouldn't call you a journalist. I'm certainly not a journalist. Yeah. Um, Although sometimes people accuse me of being a journalist. I'm like, dude, I'm a lobbyist. I know. (laughs) I'm not a journalist. Incompatible. (laughs) Um, But in all seriousness, though, that's a pretty serious turn of events, and the president was making comments about it this week, uh, really sort of chastising the Saudis, it seemed, for just botching the (laughs) cover-up, and then having to sort of back to, well, they really should have killed him in the first place. But if they did, which they apparently did, they should have done a better job. Look... All of this is scary from wherever you stand, and I get that people are freaking out. So, John Easton, what story What story scares you the most? What are you most worried about in all these spate of – and, Adam, to your point, the media likes to play a lot of these stories as the worst thing. They do, until the next worst thing. Right? Yeah, so what's, what's scaring you these days? Oh, I would say the um – where the the civic discourse is is going and 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 i and i kind of think that is really where americans might be the most uh insecure mm-hmm. is where all of the, the the discourse between the the parties or between political op, you know, uh, opponents is where that's going it's getting nastier and nastier and now you know the media is really hyping is it leading to violence you know what about these these you know pipe bombs i don't know if they were actual you know real pipe bombs or not but i i think that americans are they don't scare easily and and so on your scale i would i would push it back toward the great pumpkin great pumpkin i i, I agree I, with that i, I do that. and and i just i just think uh, you know we've had we've been through i mean we didn't go through the vietnam 
uh, era uh, issues, but obviously that was that was a problem. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do this real quick. I'm gonna say let's give peace a chance. Wow, right here, that right is here, so peace, peace, not violence. Uh, we went through Watergate. We went through the Cold War. The Cold War. Now that was some pretty scary stuff. I remember being um, having to go through drills where we were had to hide under our desks. I mean, this was at my local elementary school in Portland, Oregon. Uh, so it reached every every facet of our society, and we're that that's pretty that's injecting some fear into kids. So not just adults. So I, I, I do think that we're uh, much more resilient than to be scared by some of the stuff that we've just uh, described. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's not a, a turbulent time politically. So um, it's fascinating to me when Donald Trump was elected, we were promised a couple things. First, we were promised that the stock market was going to completely crash and it was going to be disastrous for the economy. And then we were promised that we were going to go to war with North Korea. And that was that was going to be terrible, and Donald Trump was not going to be able to handle any of this. Now we're kind of pieces kind of breaking out in North Korea. The stock market has gone down precipitously, although that's more of a correction. Yeah, I the, don't think anyone's calling. We're not. It's well, not a crash. It's not a, It's a not a. It's certainly not a Trump crash. It's certainly not a Trump <laughs> crash. Um, so a lot of those, but the media plays all these things up, and now there's the latest where we're pulling out of a nuclear treaty with nuclear arms treaty with Russia, and um, Mikhail Gorbachev is writing op-ed saying that we're going to have a new arms race. Well, the reason we're basically pulling out of that arms treaty on nuclear weapons is because we were the only one following it, and the the Russians were cheating, and the Chinese weren't part of it. So that's why we're pulling out of it. Get over it, guys. It's not going to. It's not going to lead to, you know, a war with Russians. And if it did, you know, sorry, Russia, you'd, you'd, you'd be finished pretty quickly. Um, but we're not going to do that because we're not going to have a war because things are fine. And to your point, John Easton, we're at a uh, one on the Great Pumpkin scale, not nearly an exorcist. And so I think things are not nearly as bad. maybe about as scary as a as a bear in the woods. Oh. I like that. Hmm. It's kind of the Russian. Con- yeah, that's very good. Well done. Yeah, I like it. All comes together. Right at the podcast. Theory three: costume party. Everybody loves to get dressed up for Halloween, especially Adam the Bear. Um, and but in politicians, what they like to do, especially when it's an election season, they like to have a costume showing them some someone different than they really are. And I think of someone like a Joe Donnelly who ran a bunch of ads a couple weeks ago talking about how he was a pro-Trump guy who wanted to build the wall. And as he did that, he also voted against President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, showing that he's actually not pro-Trump at all, but kind of more of a liberal. Um, John Easton, thinking about this and thinking about how politicians campaign one way and govern another... Uh, this is kind of a big costume party for politicians, isn't it? Can be, yeah, it can be. And so I'll, I'll give you mine, and you know, try not to to be partisan here at all. I'm just I'm just an observer of, <laughs> of politics. We're not partisans here. Yeah, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down Hillary Clinton in terms of a I can't think of a bigger example of of a, co- a political costume, and I, I'm somebody who. Uh, Respected uh, Hillary Clinton in the in the Senate quite a bit because I think she did a, a a pretty good job there. But looking at her presidential campaigns, it it was really something to behold. And 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 I say that from the perspective as I think Senator Clinton was actually the best job for her. 
I think she could be herself. I think she could be fairly liberal, represent New York's interests only. And, um, and she was actually at ease and comfortable in that job. You know what she also was? She was a hawk. She was a defense hawk as a senator. She becomes a, a, the, 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 the nominee for president, and she was all over the place. All over the right, place. Right. Her her moorings were were had been uprooted, and it was kind of painful to watch. I mean, you ask Democrats, and and it was painful for them to watch as well. So, I just think that the the the, the fewer costumes for politicians, the more successful they will be. Adam, um, what is your favorite political costume? What is the one that you like? What is what is what do you want people to see or put to wear for this Halloween season? <laughs> That, that's a great question. I'm, I'm going to tell you in the moment. I'm not sure I have the answer, but what I was thinking about, so I'll just offer you what I was going to say anyway, regardless of your okay, question. Fair <laughs> like any good costume politician would do. Right. Is the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, has been trying on a new costume this week, if you haven't noticed. He put on the costume of somebody who is very, very much into executive power on the issue of prescription drug costs okay and so democrats are saying good on you mr president although i don't think you've gone far enough republicans are scratching all over and they don't know what to do (laughs) and maybe even voters are wondering wait a second has he got my back on this is this a thing I mean, I thought they were getting rid of pre-existing conditions and they wanted to get, do away with Obamacare, but how does this job? But you know what? This is a problem for anybody who has a chronic disease or knows somebody who is struggling with covering the cost of medication. And even though the whole you know watchword of the democratic faith is socialized medicine and Medicare for all, the president's talking about an index on drug costs that takes into account what's going on for some of these name brand drugs in other countries. Yeah, I th- I, uh, yeah one of the things that when I worked for the speaker uh, and we were doing prescription drug uh, med- Medicare modernization reform, reimportation of drugs was a big issue, and the whole concept behind that was if you could bring all the drugs you wanted from you know from overseas and that would somehow stabilize the prices. But do you remember what the messaging was? Why how they <clears throat> killed it? The messaging was uh, pharma's giving us a lot of money and we got to do what pharma tells us. No, but the, 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 the <laughs> messaging the messaging was, it was like a fake news me- fake drugs. We can't verify that that is legit stuff. Yeah, that was that was part of the messaging. Right? The other the other part of the messaging was we cannot lower the price of drugs because that'll kill innovation, innovation and yeah, we won't have, and we won't have the next generation <clears throat> of of drugs. This is a the president's uh, right on the politics. I think the policy is kind of suspect. I'm not sure. I, I didn't think that. But is it a costume that he's wearing right now? Is he trying it on for size? Is this a stalking I, horse I, issue? Or I, is don't, this I don't know because he's been pretty consistent on, on drug he, prices. He talked about it a lot in the campaign. Yeah. So as we all know, Donald Trump, he is obsessed with trying to deliver on what he did, what he said during the campaign. I promises think that's what made, this is. Promises no, he really is. And, and, and actually, refreshingly so, that, that, that he has this obsession with trying to deliver on what he campaign on so uh, johnny so what are what are you wearing for halloween and what are your kids wearing for halloween i usually uh make that decision john uh, is it a game time decision? It, it's game time i haven't quite decided yet uh and oh i do know that my youngest daughter is going as as one of the the seasons 
uh, one of the seasons. Oh, it's actually one? their their four seasons. <laughs> four seasons, <laughs> three Eastern girls. Four you seasons. Do <laughs> four seasons. Four classmates. Summer, winter, spring, and fall, and they're going to be each one. Of, it's it's actually very clever. It's very clever, and I think my daughter's summer. Okay. Okay. Uh, what 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 are your kids going for Halloween? I think my children are like breaking out and saying, "Look, just don't need to do it anymore." I'm too old, 14 and 16. They're interested in other things. They're not putting on costumes. Shaving cream and toilet paper? I hope not. I, I, I never really thought that was a great thing to do, especially <laughs> in this day and age. Um, but, TV, uh, TV houses? I, I know what I will be doing. <clears throat> You're going to be a bear. You're going to be yeah. go get some honey? Uh, yes. <laughs> I um, my, my son is going to be the guy who sells Dr. Pepper at football games. Whoever that guy is, uh, oh, yeah. the Larry Claypool, or whatever. I mean, it's actually pretty clever. Um, and my my daughter is going to be this internet sensation, JoJo something or other. And um, I've never seen her on any television program except on the iPad. JoJo is that the clown? No, it's a no. It's a little girl. A little girl who yeah. dances. And so my oh. daughter, we, neither my wife or I had ever heard of this character. Of course. She got the costume with me because I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> my, my wife was like, who is this person? She wanted more research. Um, can, can I say the, the most creative kid's costume that I've heard about thus far in the Halloween holiday season was from the young Cushman boy, uh, Jack Cushman, who, along with his dad, who took Belmars to Redskins game a couple weeks ago, and we saw a win, which was magnificent. Thank you, Cushmans. Jack told me that he was going to be uh, sort of a, a headless guy with a trench coat, and he was uh, his mom has already got him the the cheese balls uh, container emptied of cheese balls, and they're gonna it, anyway. The kid is on fire. I think it's going to be a great execution. We'll show you a picture of it on next week's show. So, um, what do you think will be the best costume that you see at any of the costume parties from the adult perspective? You want to? Do that. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of anything appropriate to say here. Uh, my, this is my guess: is that the best. Someone will come up with this, and it'll be very clever. It will be a suspicious package. Too soon? Is it too soon? I don't too think so. They, they just, they just, I want they just caught, they just the as a serial killer with like little you know mini boxes of cereal, and I went around with a knife. And <laughs> you know, in the absence of any creativity from anyone else, you'd be surprised at what could win. <laughs> Stormy Daniels, uh, Avenatti, uh, I mean... There's a lot of there's potential. A lot of places to go. A lot of places to go. Well, um, so we're going to end this segment of the Fury Theory podcast, and we're going to go on to... Uh, there's been a little bit of discussion here as to what this segment should be. <laughs> it could be a buy or sell. It could be a trick or treat. Or it could be your favorite Halloween movie. Um John Easton, you start since you wanted the movie one. I did. I did. I thought that listeners, viewers, would be very interested to know what maybe we thought was the scariest movie you've ever seen. That's kind of where I thought. Go for it. So I went to this movie way too early, way too young. I'm with my older sister. She shouldn't have taken me. My lovey Jan probably shouldn't have taken me. This is the Amityville Horror what was that circa 1980, maybe? Yeah, 80, 86, something like that. And as those of you who have seen it know, the devil kind of does his thing at about 3.15 every night in this house. And so when I saw it, I came back. I was absolutely petrified. And I thought to myself, 
I better be asleep by 3.15. I better be asleep by 3.15. And I didn't. And I stared at that clock, and I thought the whole world was coming down on me. How old were you at this time? That's about the eighth grade. About the eighth grade. Yeah. Maybe seventh. Yeah, that's. Uh, I never saw that movie. Maybe sixth, actually. I'm just trying to work my way back here, but uh, I'm still scarred. And the, and the remake of it doesn't do it justice. Uh, Adam Bellmer, what's your favorite Halloween Well, see, scary the way that, that Easton proposed it to me was more like, what was the scariest? And that's what scariest, did. that's fine. So I'm going to go there. Um, and, and like John Easton, I agree that it, it's as much about the movie as it was when you saw it. And in this sure. case, probably when you shouldn't have seen it. So I'm having trouble pointing to the exact date. It was probably the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, but uh, when it was, I think, the original Halloween movie. Yeah. Um, I had a, a Catholic family that lived next door who were my god sisters and brothers. And um, they had a, I don't know, I watched the movie. And, and, and it was sort of peering over shoulders and it scared me to death and i think i was i was damaged because there's some real violence i mean no there was michael I, myers I was so that, afraid that blade so is things. The blade is this long i mean uh, wow yeah well my um the scariest movie that i saw when i was growing up uh i was at a sleepover at some friend's house and uh it was like a sleepover with a bunch of kids and i think i was probably nine years old maybe eight years old and they showed the mummy and this is the mummy with boris karloff that movie if you're nine or ten years old scares the shit scared the shit out of me i i tell you and i was kind of one of those kids i don't like scary movies anyway and so i i got so scared i ran out of the, out of the room and all everybody started laughing at me and so it was kind of not only was it scary you were scared in the moment not just Afterwards, like uh, no, I, I'm still scared. I still can't want to watch any scary movies. Have you exacted revenge on each and every one of those people who, who well, laughed at you? That's, that's the that's the new movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> How dare they make fun of me? Um, so the mummy, you know, the old movies are actually really terrifying, especially if you're a, a young young person. And uh, I would rewatch them. Um, all the other ones, I don't think are nearly as as scary, um, but. We all have our, and I don't really like scary movies. I don't like I don't like Friday the Thirteenth. I don't like slasher movies. Um, I never saw The Exorcist. Have you seen The Exorcist? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. You can't grow up in Washington D.C. and not see The Exorcist and not want to go seek out The Exorcist stairs. Stairs, and, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well. Happy Halloween, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB. EFB means. Excellent for a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, b- b- baby.